It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, Josh Bragg, <laughs> what? who's never been on this show before. Yeah, it feels like I have. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not really <laughs> any <laughs> I have been here before. Well, I mean, you've been talking to me before. I've been sitting sure. here. You've been sitting there. Right, right. The, yeah. the, 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 the topics change, but not really, because I feel like every time I do have you on uh, Scary Stories, the other show that I do weekly, all about true crime, paranormal, and the supernatural, but definitely less true crime than anything else. We talk about movies from time to time. And frankly, I think I don't know if we've had a conversation where we haven't brought movies up. No, it always comes up. I mean, I feel like when we first started talking on there, because we've done a bunch now, that I was really worried of like, oh, I got to make sure I have a scary story to tell because that's in the title of the show. And then I realized like, well, we're always just kind of talking about spooky stuff. That's just who we are. Yeah, like it's just it's just part of the process of being me being you. I feel like I I tend to gravitate towards those things. So you might be asking yourself on this episode of the Culture Cast uh, who my co-host is. I'm still Chris Dashie, much to the chagrin of many, but I am joined by my good friend. He is a TikToker, podcaster, photographer, filmmaker. But most importantly, he's my friend all the way from TikTok's The Haunting Season. You're my friend and soon to be yours, Joshua Sterling Bragg. I've got a lot of hobbies and being your friend is one of the best ones. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Boy, you're <laughs> pulling at the we're pulling at the heartstrings back and forth here. Like <laughs> you're ready to cry this episode. It's oh going to be God. an emotional special episode <laughs> on the very special episode of the Coulter cast. Chris learns, Chris learns the true meaning of gong jum haunted asylum. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. On this episode of the culture cast, it is still horror tober. We are still talking about horror movies, but this is a bonus episode, which means it's not a Netflix movie, but you can find it on YouTube for free right now in its entirety. So go do that before you listen, because, uh, not to get out in front of what we thought about the movie, but I both think we'd suggest it, given that you suggested to me that we watch it. Yeah. 
I love this movie. I've been on a found footage kick for a little while now because I kind of fell out of it after Cloverfield, which I think a lot of people did because there were kind of a lot coming out. And then Cloverfield did it better than everybody else as far as like the camera work goes. It's the pinnacle, I think, of the of the found footage genre even now. And then everybody was like over it. And I was like, I guess I'm over it too. And so I missed all these films and this one's recent, but I've been going back and watching um, just a, a bunch of ones throughout the years and falling back in love with it again. And so this film is very similar to the Grave Encounters movies in the setup. Right. But it kind of veers off to the side and becomes much more scary, in my opinion. So before we talk about the movie, before I introduce the movie, Josh, tell my audience on the Culture Cast, what is the haunting season? Because it factors into what we're about to talk about, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, so haunting season is something that I created um, back in 2013. It was originally a place on YouTube for me to tell scary stories. And it very quickly started feeling like a community. I had to stop for a while, but I brought it back as a podcast in 2019 that kind of evolved into doing some YouTube stuff again. And then TikTok took off and I decided to start experimenting on there. And that's where I found really my, my big community. There's uh, getting close to 400,000 people on there that are very active. <laughs> people are very expressive on there. I'm starting to recognize like groups of people that show up on my videos, um, which is something I always wanted from the beginning was to just have this safe space for all people to come together through their love of spooky things and just chill and just hang out. So the goal moving forward is to just continue to build that community while also sourcing that as a way to grow into a larger uh, entity, I guess is the right word since it's spooky um, to, to start making films and TV shows and stuff. Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, it's I think your your goals with what you're doing and our goals over at Weirding Way Media, it's a forward momentum, forward progression, upward and upward. Right. Always looking yeah. for something else, something interesting, something new to do to uh, further stretch our creative legs, because it's fun to talk about other people's stuff. But like, I, I want to make something of my own, you know? Like, yeah. That's that that's that itch that you start getting. Yeah, and and especially when, you know, there are certain things that come out on Shutter that I'm like, oh, that's an accessible level of what I'm capable of. You know, like I watch um I don't know if you've seen Dead Wax. Mm -mm. It's a three-part each part is 15 minutes long. It might even be longer. It might even be like five parts. Um but it's several 15-minute episodes done like a full TV show or a full movie just like broken up. And it's like a kind of detective story ish where like a woman's trying to find a record and the record, if you listen to it, it kills you. And if you own the record for too long without listening to it, it makes you go insane and kills you. And she's been like hired by someone to find the record or something like that. And it's just a great small indie film that is now released on this platform because there is a platform for people making indie horror stuff, uh, you know, and there's all kinds of stuff on there too. Not that this is a plug for shutter or anything, but it's more of like a, now that I can see people doing it for like tens of thousands of dollars instead of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, it feels reachable and attainable if I just keep focused and keep driving. Well, and I think we should mention, you know, speaking of making the most of the technology that you have, I mean, you know, there are plenty of people who have massive TikTok followings like you do, who 
are just doing it on their phone, are just doing it from their basement of their house or their kitchen or whatever. I mean, uh, someone that you introduced me to, someone that you have done content on your show about Charm City Paranormal, he was telling me that his Velisca Axe House video, he filmed it on his phone, part of it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, again, like in this day and age, the the only thing stopping you from making something is really yourself. Like, uh, you know, it's like storytelling, it's yeah. storytelling ability and training yourself to, to be a better storyteller because the technology is so accessible. I mean, the iPhone 14 shoots like a cinema camera with like depth of field and, you know, it, it motion tracking, face tracking, like all this weird stuff that you would have to, when I was coming up, pay and did pay tens of thousands, if not you know, $50,000 for stuff like that, just to make these short films that nobody ever watched. Which brings us to Gong Jam Haunted Asylum. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> A found footage film meant to be shot on... On I GoPros. Guess, on GoPros. Yeah, so, they have the GoPro. What What was the GoPro they had? The Session, which doesn't even exist anymore. Nope. Even though this is a modern movie, which is incredible that they shot this movie on those and we're excited about it. Yeah, but, you know... The idea that you can go with a group of friends and go out with some cameras, be it, you know, professional grade or your phones, which anymore are three quarters professional. I mean, Jesus Christ, a phone is how much? Fifteen hundred bucks. Some of that does go into the creation of the camera, like, you know, and and anymore, any everybody has a camera. So it's unrealistic to think that the quality of the cameras weren't going to be as good as they are now, because if everybody has them, people are going to want to be able to take nice pictures. So now you have a movie like this one and so many found footage movies that have come out post 08 that are meant to replicate small digital recorders, be it phones, be it GoPros, or I guess security cameras, but it's really GoPros and like handheld, like I guess active life cameras or iPhones and like almost entirely now found footage movies are done through that lens. Nobody is holding a camera anymore. Like just not a thing unless it's like a film crew doing that specifically. So right. here we are at Gong Jam Haunted Asylum. <laughs> (laughs) 
So the film came out in 2018. It is directed by Jung Bum Sik. It is written by Jung Bum Sik and Park Song Min. And it stars a cast of young South Korean actors who are playing social media folks and or people who kind of do what we do, talking about the weird, spooky and paranormal who go to a real haunted hospital And, you know, as you do, like you kind of mentioned with Grave Encounters, Josh, they get a little bit more than they expected they were going to uh, find at a abandoned, albeit ostensibly abandoned asylum. So we will be talking spoilers. So just so you're aware, don't get mad. You can go watch this movie on YouTube right now for the low, low price of one and a half hours of your time. Costs you nothing. (laughs) Costs you nothing. And like we already said, you totally should. But I've got to ask you, Josh, since you were the one who wanted to talk about this movie, what drew you to Gongjam Haunted Asylum? A lot of things. So I had been getting this recommendation. Um, I had this idea for videos to put out on TikTok that would get a lot of interaction to get suggestions from people. So I put out a video that was like, I feel like I'm running out of uh, found footage movies to watch. Do you guys have any suggestions? Here are the ones that I've watched. Let me know what I've missed. And people you know, exploded in the comments with all kinds of weird, fun stuff that I can't wait to watch. But the one that popped up, I feel like most often um, there were two of them. It was Incantation and it was Ganjam this one and (laughs) Haunted Asylum, Haunted Hospital, whatever. And so let me just call it that. Yeah, yeah, just Ganjam. And so now I've got uh, Gundam style stuck in my head. <laughs> I know the way you said. It, I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> whoops!" <laughs> Remember that year? Um, so I, I watched both, and I thought Gundam was the better film by far um, for a lot of reasons. One was the acting. I think this is some of the most believable acting. That's something I'm always looking for in a found footage movie because I feel like a lot of times they lean into the camp, which is not what I want from found footage because you want to believe that it's found footage it's in the title you know and so like grave encounters i never really connected to because it was mocking uh tv shows like paranormal investigation tv shows like ghost adventures and that's funny and i like that but it doesn't make it scary to me yeah and it's and it mocks those shows almost whole cloth like to the point where i mean that's the premise of grave encounters is literally just zach bagans yeah like it's a little on the nose it's a little on the nose. It's fun for sure. It's a good, fun movie, but it's not for me scary. There were a few like really interesting effects in there, but it wasn't scary. So watching this one that's a similar setup was really exciting because I was immediately kind of terrified because of the quality and like the quality of the acting and how they were shooting it. And it all just felt very real to me. So, you know, I think I feel like as someone who watches a lot of horror movies like yourself, uh, Found footage is kind of this like ugly duckling in a way. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's at times completely deserved, completely warranted, because, again, when the barriers to entry for a subgenre or a genre of film are so low, that means anybody can make it. But that also means anybody can make it. Yeah. And there are plenty of found footage horror movies that are anybody made this and boy it feels like it but and and again not to say not to besmirch bemoan or be derogatory about what people make but at the same time some movies are going to be better than others that's just the way it is and not every movie that you and your friends go shoot in a abandoned building is going to be interesting compelling full of tension 
and able to get a genuine scare out of the audience. Not that that should be something like scaring the audience anymore. I mean, Jesus, we live in scary enough times. But Gonjam Haunted Asylum works on all of those fronts in a way that most found footage horror movies severely fail like fail in like most found footage horror movies have a hard time even getting across to you the audience why the fuck they're holding the cameras and they haven't just taken it thrown it and said i'm out of here and left like unless you have a gopro mounted to your chest most people real people not in a narrative setting are going to take whatever they've got and drop it or leave it by accident they're not even going to be worrying about that most people aren't wartime photographers you know what i mean if, yeah if, if you're a wartime photographer your immediate response when you see something like that is to pick your camera up and click a photo most of us aren't that way we turn tail and run well and i feel like this movie addresses that really well mm-hmm. i agree be, not not just because they <laughs> harness the cameras onto their bodies using like ratchet straps and like wrenches they look like they're <laughs> they in like the drum. they look like they're them. in the drum line yeah yeah they look like the kids who had like the big drums on their chest they've got like this plastic arm that keeps the gopro essentially pointed at their faces and away from them at the same time filming yeah. both directions just brilliant and then on top of that um when you get to like the middle of the movie, when things start to, when they get to that bite off more than you can chew moment, people do leave. People freak out and leave. And that's so satisfying to see happen because usually, well, I guess, I guess like grave encounters, like they get trapped, right? So they can't leave. So that kind of explains that. But then I feel like towards the end, or maybe it was the second one, but in, in one of them, like the cameras start floating by themselves to try and explain other camera angles and stuff, you know, because the ghosts are using the cameras now and, you know, like whatever. And they kind of do that in this movie, though. They do have that moment in this movie, but it's one singular moment. It's not played for like 20 minutes, which other right. less successful found footage horror movies would make like a whole scene of them being followed and get out of there. The camera is following you. Like, it's just. <laughs> It's like one, it's one small interaction in this movie, but it's so effective. It's so effective. And I do want to qualify something I said earlier about me personally wanting found footage movies to be scary. There, there's also an, a, a flip side to that with like um, digging up the marrow and the VHS movies, especially VHS 94. Um, there are moments where, you know, from the very beginning, oh, this is camp and you lean into that. Um, I think my issue specifically is when I think it's supposed to be scary, but it becomes some sort of campy-ish, muddy place. Have you seen, you've seen WNUF Halloween special, yeah? I watched it because of you. What did you think? It was all right. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's, I, it's, it's slow. It's a, it's a little slow. It, the commercials were like, so I heard they're making a new one and they're going to. Oh, it's, it's out. Oh, yeah. And I heard that all the commercials are like different this time. So there's no repetition. That was one of the things that like was getting to me was like. And it's also set in the 80s now or set in the 80s or 90s, I think. So it's also like tackling a different time in a different place. That's great. I think it's such a cool concept. And I I saw it as like a proof of concept almost where it's like they did the best they could possibly do. And it certainly works. But for me, it's more of like a background Halloween thing to have on the TV and people be like, what the hell is this? Then uh, like sit down by yourself and watch it for entertainment sort of thing, which I, I totally get. But I think I mention it only because I feel like anymore with found footage, the things that motivate me to watch them are things like digging up the marrow 
WNUF. Let me redo that. Digging up the marrow, WNUF, all of these. And I know it sounds weird to say this because I feel like it is inherently high concept, high concept found footage. Horror. Mm-hmm. Like, because again, I would contend, and I think you would agree, found footage is already high concept. And then you transpose like an even higher concept idea. Like you've seen Ghost Watch, right? No, that's one that I haven't had the time to hunt down. But I keep that hearing, is like the pinnacle. Yeah, I keep have uh, having British friends this time of year suggest it to me, and I'm just like, oh, I gotta. It's so that. it's so good. It for me, it is the best of all of these. And for two reasons, a, it plays it straight, but it does, it plays it straight, but because of what it is, it also allows itself to be funny because the format it's being presented in is not deathly serious. But then at the same time, it rewards repeat viewings, which I think the best found footage horror movie should, because the filmmakers in these films should be utilizing every opportunity they have to put as much into these frames as they can. Well, what's wild about that is didn't it play on live television and then never play on television again in the one time, one time. So it's got this rewatchability, even though it was specifically designed to be seen once by a group of people that would then talk about it forever and never be able to find it, you know, because back then, right. Didn't it come out in a time when we didn't have home? Yeah. I mean, they, they never showed it. A second time because it it was like the war of the worlds thing in, yeah, in this country. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, again, like it, but it suffered from the similar thing where it's like it, the people didn't see the intro where it was like, this is fictional. <laughs> Everybody didn't catch, you know, they tuned in late type thing. Yeah. But you should definitely check it out because again, similar to this movie, even though this movie, I don't think this movie is very high concept. Frankly, I think this movie, the success of this movie is that it strips everything out. Mm-hmm. It takes it. I mean, it has a rather novel quote setup, but I think the setup is just a logical setup. Like it, it, in our day and age, anyways. Like, of course, YouTubers going out trying to get some clout from going and doing a ghost investigation. Holy shit, they're doing it right now. I mean, the big YouTubers right now are glomming onto these things that you and I have loved for decades, and they're like, "This is so weird and crazy." It's like. Oh, no. (laughs) But like this movie is exactly that. It's kind of like poking fun at those people. But at the same time, not because the the characters in this movie, at least some of them are like true believers. They're they're like hook, line and sinker were there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we haven't done done the synopsis like of this film really yet. Is that something you do on here or do you just like people have seen it? So. I don't, I think for me, I don't always like recap the movie because my hope is like you've seen it. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like why, the whole like, listen if you haven't seen it. Well, the member thing, like remember when this happened? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah but yeah. I think to your point, I think to we should set up what the premise is. It's a YouTuber who gets a bunch of his pals together and they go to this asylum and he's live streaming it. And half of the people know that there are a few gags that they're going to do to pretend that there's ghosts to get bigger views. And a few of the people don't. And the people who don't end up interacting with a real ghost that sets off the night into a real terrible nightmare of of just horribleness. Which I think for me, that little twist of the knife, the little twist of the knife in the movie is what I appreciate the most. The idea that it's not just it's these group of people going, but one of one half of the group has kind of nefarious intentions, not so true yeah. intentions in mind. Yeah. And and the it's the what if factor. When I took my horror writing class last year, they always talked about the what if. Like, you know, when you walk around outside and you think you see like a creature lurking in the the bushes and you turn your head real quick and it's a plastic bag stuck there, go down the route of what if. Right. And the what if in this movie is, well, what if when they were pretending something real happened. Right. And it's so simple. It's such a simple little, like you said, twist of the knife. And then we're suddenly in this realm where it's still very logical, given the circumstances of like, we now know ghosts are real and that they can interact with you. So logically, how would the rest of this play out? Right. It feels very logical. Well, and what's funny is you have a movie. Have you seen one cut of the dead? I haven't. That's another one people suggest all the time, but it's that it's that all in one shot zombie movie. Right. Right. But it but what's funny is and I don't want to spoil it because it's one of those movies that like benefits from going into it essentially as blind as possible. But part of the setup of this movie is shared with the setup of that movie where like some people are in on it and some people aren't. But that movie takes it in a completely different 180 direction than this movie does. But what I appreciate about this movie is it could could have even gone another direction. They could have had at the end of the movie, oh, everybody is in on it and we're all putting on airs and we were successful at making this one million, you know, view feed. Because that you could have done a further double twist of the knife where some people think they're in on it, some people aren't in on it, but the people that aren't in on it are in on something else. And ultimately that's what builds the narrative. You could have done that. That other thing could have been the guy in the tent was really playing the role of the ghost and scaring everyone who now believed it was real and went too far and actually started killing people. Right. Or or even again, it, it has no uh, negative or nefarious ending. Everybody's OK in the end and they were all successful, but they were successful in fooling the the the, the people watching the stream. Or, yeah, you could go even the route that you said, like, that's what's interesting about this kind of story that they've told is because it is so not to say generic, but very narratively simplistic, you can go anywhere. Yeah. And then layer on top of it, it's made in South Korea. It's a South Korean horror film. It kind of has some of the characteristics of other South Korean horror films that I've seen, like The Host, um, like I Saw the Devil, which is kind of true crime horror, but still pretty horrifying. The thing that I appreciate is that this movie forces you to like look at it. Like it doesn't really stray away from the weird and the grotesque. Like it just kind of puts it in there and says, yeah, like that's what's going on here. And, and holds on it. That was another thing that really drew me to this film was a lot of American horror is about the jump scare. It's about the seeing the, the leg of the creature while it disappears around the corner. This is the camera turns, the things 
fucking there. Now what? Oh, right. shit. Now what? Oh, shit. We're still looking at it. Now what? And it just stays in that moment for the appropriate amount of time until you're literally just pulling the covers closer to your eyes, you know, being like this is the, it, it, the build of suspense and terror and dread in films from Korea, films from Japan, I feel like are so much higher. I don't know why that is. We don't. I mean, I feel like we're. I feel like we're automatically out of sorts culturally because it is. I mean, again, you've been overseas to Asia, as have I, and like the culture is. There's an austerity to the culture that we're not used to, at least in Japan, not so much in South Korea. But I feel like setting a film in a foreign country automatically like puts you at unease, even if you are a international traveler, because, again, you don't you're not able to pick up on the nuances of the character's dialogue delivery. You just know what they're saying. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, too, like not being able to completely comprehend the nuances of the way the culture is being or the language is being delivered between characters, I feel like it just kind of puts you automatically just a little bit like if you're at a hundred, you're 90 degrees, it's like 85 degrees type thing. It's just Mm -hmm. that little bit of unsettling just because you're already in a foreign country, not used to the language, maybe not used to the culture. And that already sets you at like a, okay, I don't even have a frame of reference for what they might be doing here. So mm-hmm. they could do anything. And in this movie, again, they kind of lean on things we've seen before. And there's one part of this movie that I was not a super huge fan of just because again, I think it leans on tropes too much, but I think it's just that like you, you're automatically off, off of your like even footing just by setting it somewhere. That's not, immediately recognizable to a large group of people. Yeah, I could agree to that. The language thing is really interesting to me because, and I do want to come back to what that one thing was, because I'm very curious, but to wrap up the whole language thing, I I think, so when I watched Incantation, I noticed that there was an American dub and I was in Africa at the time and I was multitasking. So I was like, let me throw that on. And it completely, I was not getting the urgency of the scenes. I wasn't feeling any sort of tenseness or dread. And I immediately, after like five minutes, had to switch it back to the original language. And suddenly it was like, you know, you're like right back in it and it's scary again. So you can understand the inflection, but yeah, you're missing out on the the cultural interactions that are that that are a part of that. That society. just happen. That just happen again. Yeah, like yeah. you and I interacting the way that we interact is fueled by our personalities, but also the culture that we're in and like the cultural mores that we know about that we don't have to tell everybody we know. We just as Westerners kind of all uh, more or less agree. Yeah, these are things you do and don't do like, yeah. you, know, you know, like constantly interrupting one another is something that I try to stop myself from doing because you're not supposed to do it, even though we can edit it out and post, you know, like <laughs> even though you can, it's that kind of thing. Like, even though I know you're not supposed to and I do it from time to time. It's one of those things you're not supposed to do. I don't necessarily have a frame of reference for everything South Korean culture wise, especially just like interacting directly with someone. Yeah, directly with someone of the same sex, of the opposite sex, same age, different age, all of that stuff. Right. And so it's some of that is going to just be lost. And like you've said, by trying to watch an American dub, like, will this fix it? Like, oh, oh, God, it always makes it worse. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, I knew I knew. 
I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't know it was going to be that bad. It like completely was wrecking the film. Essentially every time, right? Like most of the time, because again, I watch a lot of uh, Indian cinema and like for a lot of them, there are no English dubs, which I'm fine with because I would never watch them. But I do, you know, from time to time, talk to people that are like, oh, is this dubbed in English? It's like, it might be, but like what? Like the studio Ghibli films, like don't watch those dubbed in English. They're terrible. Tina Fey is not good. Matt Damon is not good. Like those, they're not, they're not great in those movies, not because they're not good actors, but because there's a cultural understanding to what people who make anime are making that we as Westerners just don't have. Right. And we don't get it. And, And there are people who do get it in this country, but Matt Damon and Tina Fey are not them. They're being cast because they're Matt Damon and Tina Fey. Right. You're not hiring people that work on other anime projects. And so it feels like the same thing with dubbing movies. It's like you're not getting people who actually know anything about the movies. It's just someone who's here to do a job, which is fine. But I I want to mention to you the thing that I didn't like about this movie. Yeah, it's this please. fucking MacGuffin of Room 402. I don't like that set up in any kind of movie where it's like this one room. Don't go in this one room because, you know, it's, it's Schrodinger's room. They're going to go in there. They're going to go in there. Or and not, not going to go well because right. the story can't be you lead up the whole time to the big climax of going in the room and nothing happens because it's just a room. I mean, if I make this movie, it might be that just to subvert expectations, because like anymore, what is there interesting to show in a room with just a bunch of people walking into it? Like, what is interesting about that? You got to figure out how to make that room interesting because inherently a room's not interesting. It depends on who's directing, right? Like if it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, that room ends up being the only room that the ghost can't go into. And through the portal of the room, you're seeing their true form and you're falling in love with them because you realize they're just people, you know, it it depends on who's making the movie. But the fact that it's there in the beginning sets expectations for the end that you think about the entire film. And thus, I, I think is maybe part of what you're saying is you can't truly get lost in the film because you've got this like one thing that you're counting the minutes. So like when you get going to do the thing you said you're going to do the thing that's what it feels like there it, it it creates an artificial timer within the film that the film and i say this genuinely it doesn't need like it's so good without it it doesn't need us leading to so room then, 402 so then what's the i think i know the answer but then what's the like the big ticking clock that gives us some sort of drive towards like what are we what are we driving towards if we don't have room 402 I think for me, it's just trying to survive the night and get out. But again, like that in and of itself is not interesting. Yeah. Or like trying to get to a million views, but that also wasn't all that interesting of a part. Well, and it's kind of a twist at the end of the movie, too. It's kind of yeah. it's it's used it's used subversively at the end of the movie to for the intention for a certain intention that I think is one of the s- smarter aspects of the movie is that kind of epilogue part where you've got the story being wrapped up in a way I was not genuinely was not expecting to happen. What happens at the kind of post climax of the film. But I think anytime you introduce like, there's this one room, don't go into it. Like, okay, like fine. Like, all right. Like I just, I feel like there's easier ways to give characters a reason to go into somewhere or avoid somewhere other than just straight up telling them, this is where we we're ending this video here. That's what they keep saying. Like they're letting you know out in front, this story has to end in this room. The story ends in room 402. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just there. I feel like anymore, you don't need to give us 
this kind of like over looming or looming problem or looming MacGuffin. I mean, it's a fucking MacGuffin. That's what it is. Like It is, but I don't know if that's what sells the movie and gets it on a platform. Like I think I watched it on shutter or AMC plus or something like that. Like, is that what, when you're working the business side of making films, is that what gets you on the platform is like, they're like, Hey, your movie idea is great. We want to green light it, but here are our notes. You've got to have something they're driving towards the entire time. And everybody in the writer's room sits around and they go like, okay, great. So like, what if we start out with like a cold open that has two guys trying to break into this door and something happens to them, they go missing. And so that's the reason they're even there is to try and get in that room. But we're going to put it all the way at the end because that's the big finale. And they want to do that when the most people are watching. And then the producers are like, that's a great idea. We love it. Just make sure that uh, once they get in the door, you got at least two ghosts and then we're good to go. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. What they, that's what that's they the did. Thing, like, I'm, I'm writing my own scripts now and I'm thinking about like there are multiple paths to go. There's release it yourself on the Internet. Make no money. Make no big splash. It's just something that like a handful of people will enjoy. And that can be a really fulfilling thing. And I would like to do that on a small level. But there's also watching VHS 94. And and the other VHS anthology movies and thinking like some of the movies in these I don't like. Right. It doesn't mean that they suck, but to my personal taste, I might be like, some of these movies suck. And if people who make movies that I think suck can get them made and produced and put out there in a huge format, what kind of math, what kind of what kind of twisting, what kind of just tell me what to do? Because I wanna I wanna get my stuff out there, you know, but I also don't want it to suck. Well, I doubt I, I doubt it'll suck. But it I, under, might, though. But but I the understand thing. the concern. Like it's any, and it's like any creative endeavor, right? Yeah. You're going to have people who are like, this is oh, like, for example, my friend Seth was one of the three writers who created little demon on FX. Um, it's a, it's a animated show that's out on FX now um, about the, this girl gets her period and realizes that she's the antichrist and her period opens a portal to hell and the devil, her divorced dad finds her. And she's got to decide if she's going to be good or evil. And it's really fun. It's got Aubrey Plaza in it. It's got Danny DeVito and Lucy DeVito. I am. I went into watching that being like, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not, because I'm not a huge fan of animated shows, but I loved it. So I made a video about it and I put it out now. And people are there are some people who are like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then there are people who are like, I don't know. It was fine. They kind of like phoned it in. Like that's going to happen on any project. Even if right. you have like all these celebrities attached and it's on a major network, there are still going to be people who are like, it was fine, I guess. Yeah. I just watched the woman in the window and it was not good. And it had a lot of people in it who are very successful actors. Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie movies. Oh yeah. 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 I watched that one. That movie's real bad. It was okay. I just like watching Amy Adams. I mean, it's not like it was good, but it was like, it was, it was okay. not even, I wouldn't even consider anything <laughs> that I watched to be verging on good. Interesting. I think my wife didn't yes. like it either. I mean, it's, it's, it's the question that I have. Like you could do this where nobody is known in a Western sense. You know, I don't know any of the actors in this movie outside of, you know, this movie and maybe one of them showed up in something else I have seen, but they're not actors that a Western audience would know, but yet it's on shutter. So I think yeah. the question becomes like, did you make something that people will watch? Not, not make something that people will watch. It's just do once it's done, will people watch it? Do you know what I mean? I guess, but you don't think there's an element to it where it's like, 
you have to, yes, it has to be entertaining and you have to be passionate about it, but you also have to fit the formula because that's the way the world works, you know? I mean, I think there are expectations that need to be met with this kind of movie. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think so. And I think if you don't, Again, if you do something that's high concept, that's essentially saying, I'm not going to meet expectations. I'm doing something different, like digging up the marrow, like Ghost Watch, like something we just WNUF, something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. But you were like, yeah, it's just OK. Like it didn't resonate. It didn't resonate with you the way it resonated with me. And that could be that could be of how I watched it. It could be the mood I was in when I watched it. You know, it could just be also what your expectations are when you watch something like that. Yeah. I, I, again, I've seen it God knows how many times. So I know what it is. Like if you watch it for the first time, not knowing what it is. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty weird. It's pretty high concept, but this, I feel like to answer your question, I feel like it's more of a dialing back of the weirdness. And it, like you said, kind of leaning on the tropes, leaning on the expectations. I think it's more of leaning on the expectations to satisfy the, f- the, f- the people who are funding its expectations. Uh-huh. I think that's that's such a dangerous, it's such a dangerous uh, tightrope walk because it's art. You go too far and everybody hates it. You go far enough. The audience is split, but you're making money and you don't go far enough. People think it's the most brilliant thing in the world, but nobody's watching it. Right. It's reassessed (laughs) many years later. (laughs) They only loved me once I died type thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, look at the thing. It was a major flop when it came out because it was too different and it was too scary. Yeah. Blade Runner. I mean, there's there's endless, you know, classic films that we would all have in our collection nowadays and be like, you haven't seen E.T. Well, that's a bad example. (laughs) I feel like that was a success. (laughs) Yeah, it was a tremendous. You haven't seen this movie? Yes. For for many reasons, I have. (laughs) You haven't seen Night of the Living Dorks. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> I I guess my other question is with found footage, did they do enough in this movie different? Or is it, you know, again, like it's South Korean film. Got it. Haven't seen a South Korean found footage film. Uh, it's set in a, again, it's set in South Korea. So that for me was kind of the big draw. But and does I think it's it a do real, enough? I think it's a real haunted place too. I, I think is. the, the trailer for it, brags about that being like we're in here for the first time even though i read behind the scenes that they had to recreate parts of it for like safety reasons but they did it exactly right yeah because uh who'd have thunk it it was uh it, it apparently affected the sale of the building that they made this movie <laughs> no one's buying that building <laughs> <laughs> to do what with it tear it fucking yeah. down i hope yeah Jeez Louise. I I feel like it does enough for me to warrant suggesting it to someone else. But again, like found footage for me is such a tight rope to walk because I don't know what everybody else's expectations are with found footage. Yeah, it's true. I think for me, the reason I really want to get this film out there and get people seeing it for on a personal level is because when I travel and I'm in a new hotel, And I'm not quite familiar with my surroundings. There's always a little bit of fear there when you turn out the lights because it's like, oh, I got to figure out how to get to the bathroom in the dark or I got to this or that. So when I'm in that space, when I'm in a brand new hotel, I love to turn out the lights, all of the lights, close the shade so it's pitch black. And the only thing I can see is my screen and watch a found footage movie. And if I can get freaked out 
in that scenario, that's the closest I can get to being a kid and watching a horror movie and and feeling like it's real and being terrified. And that's magic to me. And this film did that for me personally. Well, I think it has the trappings for me of a lot of successful horror movies. I mean, it has, especially found footage, it has a little bit of Blair Witch with the kind of the outdoors stuff. And also, I think just the the setup is is Blair Witch. Again, we've kind of grave encounters, people going out into the woods, incurring the wrath themselves. I mean, that's the thing I always appreciate about these stories is these people would have been fine if not for the fact that they were just being however you want to interpret stupid, greedy. Full of greedy, full of, you know, pride and hubris that they can go to this place and you know, whatever. I always love those stories personally, because I don't care if any of the characters survive this, frankly, you know, like they're all there. They're all there. Like you made that choice. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do for you. It's like the, I don't know if you've seen the ruins, the ruins has that same vibe where it's like, you shouldn't have, they told you not to go there and you went anyways. Have you heard of <laughs> fuck around and find out like you did? That's, I mean, a lot of found footage movies feel that way. It's like you went and did something you shouldn't have. This happened. And it's yeah. like getting in, getting in that, like, that frame of view and being able to experience something you should not be experiencing for real, I think also is something that if a, if a found footage movie is successful, it's successful in putting you in that place and time and creating a sense of you being there. And this movie, I think does that pretty well as well. And it also, it doesn't, it doesn't go too far past that either, because there's a version of this where you're yelling, well, there's this version at it where you're kind of yelling at the screen, like, no, don't do that. But you're also thinking like, fuck, I would do that. You know, like, oh, I'm in Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the views. Because like, yeah, because the, obviously that's why they're doing it. But there's a version where it goes too far, where you're like, come on, don't do that, you freaking idiot. Stop. You already, this already happened to you once. Stop doing it. That's that's the line where it becomes less believable and it becomes more campy and and you're like, oh, you're making this so, you know, for teenagers or whatever, which, you know, is also another fine way to make horror movies. Well, and I think anymore, especially with found footage, like you mentioned, it's like the the best found footage movies utilize a fair amount of restraint. And you, I feel like you almost have to with the genre, because like you mentioned, the ones that don't practice restraint, they just, they just, they go off, they go off and they just don't, you know, they, they don't do anything to give you an understanding that this is for real happening. They just kind of drop all pretenses and just don't care anymore. You know, they didn't, why are they still holding the camera? Like even in Cloverfield, frankly, is one of them like in Cloverfield, you're like, why are you still holding the camera? I'm like, fucking drop it and go. I mean, I know they have TJ Miller saying like, everybody's going to want to remember uh, how this happened. I always yeah. forget TJ Miller's in that movie. It always bums me out just immensely that I have to watch anything that he's in anymore. But <laughs> Cloverfield, even it has that problem of like, why are you holding the camera? And it, it like it operates on a level of like you 
like logically characters would drop the camera unless that's their job to not. And this movie does a good job of that, of again, setting it in a real tangible world where, yeah, like you said, I would not do this, but at the same time I might because Charm City Paranormal might want to go do something or I might know someone who wants to go do something or whatever. And I'm not going to say no to go and investigating in one of these places because Nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10, this is not actually going to happen. Yeah. But it's that one time where apparently it's that it one does. Time. <laughs> it's that one time. And that's why people, you know, do these paranormal investigations, right? They're looking for that one time. And there's that, there's that pride or whatever of like, well, it's not going to kill me. It's just ghosts. But I don't know. That one time. That's the fun part about any paranormal investigation is like wondering if it is going to be that one time. Right. And then these movies are like that next logical further step, because like, again, do can I say unequivocally that something like this has never actually happened? No, not really, because I can't speak to the history of the world in its entirety. But I feel like it we would have known. Right. Especially in this day and age with so many YouTubers out there. My, just- yeah dicking around empty asbestos filled hospitals <laughs> right that's a thing man good god all of them just making their youtube well I thumbnails think we- about how scared they are you know what i mean like you can yeah. see these people you know they're you could take uh the the what the hell are those dudes i would say buzzfeed but they're not buzzfeed anymore those two guys you could put them in this scenario and it would make just as much sense you know like they're going mm-hmm. for the clout they're going for the views they're there for the sweet, sweet internet uh, upvotes. upvotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a dad. Uh. <laughs> but I mean, that's, is that not what they're, 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 they're going to a haunted house for internet currency. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's no reason this wouldn't be remade. They're make, remaking Train to Busan as a, an American film. There's no reason this couldn't be turned into an American film because it is such a universal thing at the moment of young people doing something borderline dangerous, um, not even borderline, doing something dangerous for, for fun and for entertainment and to entertain other people and try and get some views. Right. I mean, that, that's it's it's the the paranormal investigative side of YouTube has been taken over by people who never were making this content and a year from now probably won't be, you know, and and these I, I honestly wish that that had been the angle. I mean, that would be the angle now. Right. If you made yeah. this would be like these are people that are trying to do this, but they're, they, they don't believe in it. That that's the thing about this movie that I again I kind of wish there had been more of was just a little bit more of an interaction between the characters, getting to know the characters better. Because I don't need everybody to just be someone who's gonna die. I know everybody mm-hmm. does die. Spoilers, but I don't need to feel like I have no investment in the characters when they do die. And was I, there this, anyone that you were invested in? I I guess I was kind of invested in the the guy who is the the the, the captain of mm-hmm. the ship, as it were, only because in, like inside the building, not yeah. the not the computer guy. No, the computer guy. I'm talking about the computer guy. I oh. found the computer guy interesting because, like, again, he's like the mastermind of the whole thing, and his character is interesting because he does some, like you mentioned before, some of the characters leave, which is like not a thing that you're used to seeing in found footage. I mean, albeit they still have their cameras on, which is convenient, but it's convenient because the movie makes it that way mm-hmm. but then you also have him running into the building which i appreciate because he goes and puts himself in the line of fire obviously comes back to bite him in the ass but like i appreciate 
that all the characters, even if they're not like really into it, are invested enough that like this guy's running in to see if his friends are okay. Those two women are running out because they're scared for their lives because they believe it so much. Like I appreciate that again, the characters are written realistically. Like they're I just don't feel like we get enough time with them pre going to the asylum. Yeah, I feel like the one person for me that I connected with was Charlotte, the one who does have her arm ripped up. And then she's the one who does see the writing on the wall change and makes the decision to leave and gets chased by. Um, I don't remember exactly who she gets followed out by, but the two women leave. And Charlotte's the one who um, who's the most terrified and and is trying to like check off the boxes of going to all the scariest places. And right. is now she's only on her fourth one or something and is already, you know, possibly going to die in this moment or, or get hurt. And she tries to make the decision of like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to survive. And maybe that changes her life forever if she gets out, but she, she doesn't. Right. Does everybody die? I, I, <laughs> I guess don't remember. so. Cause like she, she is just, back in the room like she thinks she's not in the room anymore but it turns out she's back in room 402 like i don't know oh, right and then her friend is like yeah it's creepy <laughs> creepy talking I, that's I, the one thing that didn't quite sell it for me like i didn't i people in the comments of my tiktok were like that was the scariest moment for me um i i didn't find that scary because i i felt like a gimmick to me but what i did find scary was the backwards floating woman with the feet that turned around and then snapped the guy's neck at the end yes and, and again <laughs> it's, it's it's used for it's used sparingly you see it once yeah and like that, that's, I don't think I needed to see that any more than once. I think it's effective in the one time it's used, but you and I both know that if this had been a Western film, we would have seen that thing 8 million times flying oh, around man. on the ceiling, floating through the walls. You know, it's, it's a level of restraint that's practiced with these movies where you don't have to show everything. You don't have to inundate us with every single thing. Cause like these kinds of movies are operating again on some sort of quote, realistic logic, unquote. So what's really interesting about what just popped into my head when you were saying that, because you said floating on the ceiling and I thought of um, uh, that, that scene in Hereditary. That's what I thought you were going to say. Where she's up in the corner and she's floating. That movie, now that I'm thinking about it, and feel free to obviously push back, but in this context of which we're talking about K Korean and Japanese films and how they deal with horror on screen, that seems like the closest American comparison to me because you do only see things kind of one time i know that um what is her name i'm just blanking on tony collette yes tony collette you see her floating through the air twice in that movie one in the attic when she's sawing her throat open with a piano wire <laughs> which is very different from her kind of like swimming through his room in the darkness and you don't even really know who or what it is um but for the most part you're like getting these vivid images and then you're staring at them and then they're there and you're not looking away like the person on fire in the middle of the room, you know, there's similarities yeah. there. Yeah. It's, I, I think you're right. I mean, again, I, I just think any more like you, you can, you can force us to look at something scary, but at some point it stops being scary given that I've seen it like eight or nine times, or if I'm sitting mm -hmm. and forced to stare at it. I mean, you mentioned the thing already. The reason that movie works so well is because when you do see the thing, it's like in very short bursts. You're not like the only time you're really seeing a shot of the thing in that movie for extended periods of time is at the end. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look great. You know, like it looks like a giant, <laughs> it looks like what it is, a giant puppet. You yeah. Know? And, blubbery but, flesh monster. Right. But, 
but throughout the movie, you have all of these scenes where the head turns into a spider and then the dog, da, 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 da. all that works because it's shown very quickly, but not too quick so that you don't see it because that's another kind of cheap trick in a lot of ways. It's it, you're, You see enough, but you're, they allow your mind to fill in the gaps. And I feel like this movie succeeds in that regard most of the time time again i think this movie really leans on some tropes that we've seen before some expectations being kind of fulfilled in a lot of ways but that's not a bad thing because this is a subgenre of horror for a reason and there are tropes in this subgenre that it does kind of almost necessitate you hew close to or at least address like how is the camera being held or who is holding it? Why yeah. are you where you're where you are where these things are happening? You know, sometimes you're not where you're supposed to be. Sometimes the thing is intruding on what you're doing, like Cloverfield. Yeah. Well, and in incantation at the very beginning, they say several times like they they have to film everything that's happening, not just so that they have proof, but because part of what they're trying to like break out of the curse and everything, the camera has something to do with it. And so they try to explain it away, but they don't even do as good of a job because you get into parts of that film where you're like, what? Why are you filming? Why? How? Why? Why was the camera on? You know, and it's those moments that just take me take me right out of it. One. Well, and that for me, I think, is where found footage. It is such a razor's edge to walk, because for me, I think if I were to make a found footage movie, I would make something like digging up the marrow or even more in line with something like the Poughkeepsie tapes, which I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> Those are two very different films. One is like straight camp and the other one I haven't watched because it sounds too real. And that's what makes it so good, though. Yeah. Like what makes the Poughkeepsie tapes, I think for me, one of the most, if not the most successful found footage horror movie is because like it, it, like this makes this, like this setup is a slam dunk. All you got to do is nail it. Like you found a bunch of tapes from a serial killer's house. There's your there's your excuse for why it's why the tapes are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And like the best kinds of these movies, you don't have to explain why they're holding a camera. It just makes sense. Like Cloverfield in a way does make sense up into a point. And then it's like kind of just becomes like when he's panning up and looking at the creature at the end of the movie in Central Park. All I can think, I think it the first time I watched it, I think it think it thought it the last time I watched it. Drop the fucking camera and run. Uh-huh. Like, dude, well, nobody would do that. And nobody would be looking through that as opposed to having it at their side and just looking up. You know, like at some point, the realism falls off because you have to show me something cool and you don't know how to do it other than just having the character point the camera at it. Right. And I think I think there's a point in that movie where I had to just assume that the only way this character could see was with the camera. That's the way they make it in a lot of these movies. Yeah. Which is lazy. It's lazy. And I just with every pore on my face, every every cell in my body, I want to make a found footage movie or Same. a found footage anthology with a bunch of short attempts to make a great uh, found footage movie because I, I want that challenge. I, I want someone I'm, to I'm watch it and feel the way I did about this was like, you're as close to perfection as I've seen yet into to, into like navigating this genre with the exception of I feel like the first time I saw Paranormal Activity it's been a really long time since I've seen it probably over 10 years but the first time that I saw that it all felt like real footage of people trying to just prove what's happening in their house I haven't I would, seen it 
the, whoa, whoa. It's just, it never sparked my interest. I've seen the scenes. You know what I mean? Like I've it's seen fantastic. the scenes. And you don't know the, so then you must not know the, the lore behind it. It's just like a small story actually. But um, the filmmakers, they, they, when they found out they were getting distribution, it was through, was it through universal? No, it was through Blumhouse. So it was Paramount. Paramount. Okay. So there was some connection. It was MTV. It was, M- it was MTV. And oh yeah. Yeah. I know this. this yeah. You know, the Spielberg story. I think well, if so. anybody listening doesn't, um, he was given a copy of the movie to watch and he returned it to them in a brown paper bag um, and wouldn't touch the disc. And he said, this movie's cursed. And they said, what do you mean? He said, well, while I was watching the film, all of the doors in my office shut at the same time and locked and I couldn't get out. <laughs> Huh. You know, whatever. But stories like that. And then, okay, Steve, the way that they were like advertising the film with like showing the audience and saying that, that was a know, first. That was novel, man. That was novel yeah. as fuck back in the I can't day. believe that after all of that, you know about all of that and you still haven't seen the film. It's a great horror movie and it has some yeah the the moments are are probably scattered throughout the internet and seen throughout pop culture at this point it's still they still do a really good job even though it's a lot of nothing well that's because that's that's what makes it real right i mean it's again like i i cannot sit here and tell you like i haven't wanted to it's just i've never gotten around to it but like those when you see those screenshots and those like stills of that shot from the corner of the bedroom with them in bed like that that does so much with so little Mm -hmm. like you feel safe in your house you feel even safer in your bedroom with a locked door and then what happens when you can't even be safe there and you don't know that those things are happening because again that's also kind of the other thing about it right is they didn't know it was happening until they put the camera and then they saw it and they were like oh shit this is happening in our house yeah what happens while you sleep and what does your spouse do while you sleep Right. And like, I, I, I know, again, like I said, I know how important it is. I've just never gotten around to watching it should rectify that at some point. Yeah. It's a fun one. It's, it's a fun one to like turn out all the lights and focus on. Um, It's not a great background movie because so, so little happens in the downtime of the movie because it feels like an actual, like, like you actually just found this footage and someone put it chronologically in order. Right. Um, that like if you're on your phone or you're not paying attention, it's a great movie theater film. It's not a great like sitting on the couch and getting work done film. I think my other issue with any found footage movie is you have to be found footage. Like doesn't a found footage movie have to hew to the idea that the footage was found? Yeah. So I've been even making that distinction in my language recently because one of the other, you know, for lack of a better term, found footage films that I loved this year that I saw was the medium, but that one's actually faux documentary because it's edited professionally to look like a documentary about these people in this experience as opposed. And that's also what digging up the marrow it feels like. And Poughkeepsie tapes. Like it's, it's, it's narrative and found footage. Yeah. So the, I, I've started calling those like um, documentary found footage or documentary uh, fake document or faux documentary films. I haven't really found documentary, but I don't like that term. No, because mockumentary is like Christopher Guest only. You that's know? what it sounds. But that like, that's <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. Like what, what is. I don't know. We need to come up with the term. Yeah. It's a, it, it, I, cause like, that's what the, cause it's not found. Yeah. Right. 
like, and that's not what digging up the marrow is, man. I love digging up the marrow. I did an episode on that movie years ago. Adam green is on that episode. If you want to hear him wax cool. poetically about piracy and how much he hates people who download his movies illegally for like two hours straight. It's pretty weird. I love wow. found footage. I, I love found footage movies. I really do. And like, I know that that's kind of a weird thing to say, because again, they're not really regarded very well. So what's your favorite? And you can't say Blair Witch. I wouldn't say Blair Witch because I'm not even sure I like Blair Witch. I, I have it on uh, VHS and I brought it home for spooky season and I'm going to watch it for the first time. Well, I'm going to watch it for the second time ever, but the first time probably since like 2004. The original so, one? Yeah. And, I'm, and my intention is to when Courtney's at work, all the lights off, all the shades closed and try and put myself in the mindset of it's actually found footage and that it's the time that it was released. Obviously, like I can't really go there, but that that'll right. be like the intention that I set in watching it. I like Blair Witch. I rewatched uh, the Adam Wingard. Is it Adam Wingard? The the Blair Witch movie that's just called Blair Witch. Uh, this one? Yeah, the movie's <laughs> that. Can I just say? That movie is actively fucking bad. So I got this at a thrift store thinking it was the original and not wow. paying too much attention. So disappointed. You and must so have I, been. I put it on while I was doing some stuff and <laughs> suddenly they're like taking out a drone. And I was like, when was this made? And I'm like Googling the Blair, the Blair Witch Project. And it's like 1998 or whatever. 1990 was it 98. Um, yeah, I think so. Or 99, I think. Yeah. 98 or 99. <laughs> but I'm looking at that. I'm like, they have a fucking drone. How do they? Wait a second. And I'm like texting Courtney and I'm like, did you ever watch Blair Witch? Like these people have a drone. She's like, you're watching the remake. <laughs> it was like they remade it. I guess it's a sequel. Have but, you? Uh, did you watch it? No, I stopped. Oh, I stopped because yeah, I was good. thinking like this is terrible. And then they started droning and I was just like, this not. This was not where I put myself tonight or where I thought I put myself tonight. It is uh it's not good it's really bad like it's i don't know what else to say about a movie that was made by a big studio for a big budget with a with a well-known horror director that failed as badly as that movie did who's like, the director adam wingard you know adam wingard who directed your next the guest godzilla versus kong oh wow yeah, right. Oh, wow is right. Like he directed your next a movie that I kind of like. People were big on that film when it came out. I still haven't seen it. I mean, he also directed Death Note, the American one. The oh, guest, it... the guest is fun. Yeah, the guest. Was that David Hyde Pierce? No, the no, guest is the, the one host. with that was the ho <laughs> that was the host. The guest the... is the one with the package on the on the front with the bow yeah. on it. With Dan, St it's the one with Dan Stevens where he's like the guy who comes back from the military. Yeah, I think I saw that in the theater. Micah, Micah Monroe is in it. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, found footage movies, if we're talking like a found footage movie, not a faux docu found footage, whatever the hell, if we're talking just straight found footage, I probably, you know, and this might sound weird, but I think I might actually have to go with Cloverfield in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Like I've seen it a million times. I don't really like it, but <laughs> but it's I, my favorite. I don't think it's my favorite. If you're if it's my favorite, I would have to like again, like my favorite ones aren't the ones that are just straightforward. If you were asking me like yeah. what my favorite ones are, it's WNUF, Poughkeepsie Tapes and um, I really like Apollo 11 because I think that one's just weird. How do we watch that? 
I, or like, maybe I haven't seen it. Lake Mungo is not bad. I know that I that's love like Lake Mungo, but that is yeah, documentary. Again, so. yeah, again, like I, I think what I realize the more I watch these kinds of found footage movies is the best ones. It's Apollo eighteen, not Apollo eleven. But um, the things I realize that make these movies good is that it uses the it uses the found footage sparingly, but when it uses it, it uses it to really effective effect. And yeah, like when you have when it's when that's all it is. It's not great. I'm trying to think. So have you seen Afflicted? Mm. Afflicted. But I wear those shirts, dude. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, bro. Afflicted. Yeah. You smell um, like, uh, what the fuck was that stuff called? Do you smell like Ed Hardy, bro? Afflicted and uh, As Above, So Below are are very much found footage. Yeah. Except for Afflicted starts on youtube because it's two guys who are going to go travel the world one has a weird brain thing going on and he could possibly die at any point but they don't know and so he's like i'm going to live my life and go around the world and his best friend's going to go with him and they're creating a youtube channel where they're going to be editing and producing their travel so that all their friends can watch and so they can maybe like get some following maybe get some funding to continue the trip and so it starts out super edited and then goes into the footage because they stopped editing because there's this thing that happens. Interesting. And yeah. So that's kind of a really cool way of like starting it in a really elevated place that like has music and has like people talking directly to camera and explains it all. But then the shit starts to hit the fan and you just are now watching the footage. And then as above, so below is it's straight found footage and it's, one of the best. Do you know I who it's think. directed by? Who? Uh, the Dowdle brothers who also directed the Poughkeepsie tapes. Wow. I'm going to have to watch the Poughkeepsie tapes and I'm not excited about it's, it. It's, it is. Am I going to okay. throw up? Uh, so I, I will preface it by saying this much. It is not a movie I would suggest to most people, if any people. It there, you know, I did an episode with on the movie, God feels like a lifetime ago, but I had both of the Dowdle brothers on along with Stacy Shabosky, who is married to, I forget which one of the brothers, but she plays one of the main characters in the movie. So I had the three of them on talking about it because, and I, I mention all this because the movie essentially never got released when it came out. Like it sat essentially in purgatorio for like a decade. It came out in like 2016 or 17 on Blu-ray from Scream, Scream Factory, I think, Shout Factory. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, it was like the secret handshake in Hollywood. Like, oh, you've seen the Poughkeepsie tapes? Oh, yeah, I've seen it too. And it's like, it was like their calling card, but they weren't able to like point people at it because it hadn't been released. The one of the reasons I genuinely believe why it wasn't released is I don't know how you market that movie because there's footage in that film of things that people are doing that are effectively recreations of the kinds of things they talk about in conversations with a killer, the John Wayne Gacy tapes, the Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. tapes, the, the the Ted Bundy stuff. There's mutilation, there's BDSM, there's torture, there's rape, there's every terrible thing that you can think of. Ugh. And and they they use it to really effective again effect because it's like it's not throughout. It is throughout, but it's not just that. 
it's like talking to the FBI agents who were profiling him, talking to the cops, talking to the family, talking to the this and the that. And it's done like all these documentaries that are so fucking popular now on Netflix, but it's fake. But I swear to God, you if you watch it, which you should just remember, I wouldn't watch it with other people like put yourself in the mindset of like, I just happened to cross this on investigation discovery. Is it, <laughs> is it, is it successful? Well, here's why I think I will watch it because I did watch the don't kill the cat documentary or whatever it was where, Oh um, yeah. 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 Holy shit. Don't and fuck that's with cats. real. Yeah. That's real. And it's like guy, like the whole thing starts out with a guy killing kittens live on the internet. And escalates to far worse things um, or equally bad. I don't know. I don't even know. It's just so disgusting and it's a real life thing. And there's like plenty of it on tape Um, and they show you just enough to make you never, ever want to (laughs) go to sleep ever again. So I've watched that. And I'm trying to talk myself into watching Terrifier 2, even though Terrifier 1 was too much for me. And this one's going to be an hour longer and people are saying makes the first one look like a Disney film. But I want to support indie horror like that, you know, and so I'm like, but if, trying it's not, to... if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Like, I'm, I'll, I'll be that there's guy. There's a part of me. There's a part of me who, like with Terrifier, will be fascinated by what they're able to accomplish on screen from a technical standpoint with practical effects. That to me is extremely interesting, even though I know from watching Terrifier 1, the performances are going to sell it so much that I'm going to feel sick to my stomach and it's going to really fuck me up. (laughs) Terrifier? I haven't seen it in a while, man. For good reason. Yeah. it's. (laughs) But I'm also really drawn to Art the Clown. I think the performance of that character is so dynamic and so interesting. It's not just someone in clown makeup. It's it's a real, like, award-worthy performance of a horror actor. I agree. I, I agree. A modern, a modern horror icon, somewhat in a way, yeah. which is hard to say. That's not a thing that happens anymore. Well, that's the thing. Like I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with Art the Clown, but I never <laughs> want to watch the movie. <laughs> but I want more of him. I mean, I, 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 him is poisonous to me. Well, yeah, that. Oh my god, <laughs> just thinking of like having to sit and think about that first movie again. Like some of there are some scenes in that movie that are just. <sighs> Yeah, like the some of the worst stuff I've seen in a horror movie committed to to like film, right? Just like like yeah. the, the the kind of stuff that people watch Halloween Kills for, or Halloween Ends, or all those like Rob Zombie movies. Like it's not brutal enough. It's like what do you want? Somebody gnawing someone else's face off? Oh no, that's actually what you want. <laughs> okay, I mean Poughkeepsie tapes is is that bad? It is as bad as Terrifier. But here's the thing. Poughkeepsie Tapes just doesn't, it, 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 even though it shows you terrible things, it doesn't linger on it. Like there's a terrible thing it shows in like the first 20 minutes of the movie that I've seen the movie a million times. I didn't realize what it was showing because it shows it so quickly. But when I finally like went and like looked and paused and saw what it's actually doing, it is off. But the movie doesn't say like, this is what's happening. It just kind of shows it real quick and that's it. Okay. And then it shows like the re- it shows like the reaction. It's like it, he's showing the tape to a room of like FBI like soon to be analyzers and he like turns it off and he's like I know. I know. I get it. I know cuz all the people are just like, you know, like shaking <laughs> like shaking in their seats and he's like I know. I get it. And like for me, Ugh. 
that's how you do this effectively. <laughs> You're not, it's pretty rough, man. It is, it's not. I'll do it just because I want, I, I want to talk. So the reason I'm going to do terrifier too, is because there's a, a TikToker who I really want to talk to about because she is like over the top obsessed with it. And I find that fascinating. I want to know. And I had this moment on another podcast. I was cheating on you. Um, and <laughs> I had this moment on another podcast where the host asked me, why do I think stuff like that exists? And what came out of my mouth shocked me. And I thought it was really smart, which doesn't happen often. And I was like, I think things need to be pushed that far so that things like Studio 666 can do what it did in a fun way. Like the, I, I don't know if you saw that film, but I talk about it all the time. There is a chainsaw moment in that film that mirrors a chainsaw moment in Terrifier that is one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. And it does it in a fun way in Studio 666. And I don't know if that scene exists if people aren't experimenting on the far, far edge of, of creation like that, you know, and really pushing boundaries. I honestly like again, I wasn't on this podcast with you, but if you po if you were to pose that question to me, why yes. does something like terror kind of or the Poughkeepsie tapes like why does something this kind of transgressive in a way and subversive? I think transgressive, you know, whatever you can look at it transgressive if you want. I don't. I think it's more subversive than anything else. There needs to be a space for subversive content in the world to push people who don't make subversive content to do better, to make more, to make different, to not just be stuck in their box, but, but, and I speak specifically about things like Dahmer TV show or terrifier mm -hmm. or Poughkeepsie tapes. These things that are understood to be intense watching experiences for whatever reason, because of what they're showing you, because of how they make you feel, because of what they're asking you to comprehend or confront. Like there could be any number of things that any one of these things is trying to do to you to elicit a reaction. I feel like the reason these things exist is because people are inherently interested and obsessed with and want to know more about the darker things in our world, the darker sides of the human experience, the darker sides of nature, the darker sides of whatever. And I don't want to go out and talk to a serial killer in real life, but I'll watch somebody else do it or I'll watch a fictionalized version of it because to look into the void is to turn the mirror back on yourself and ask yourself, like, what am I okay with? What are my personal limits? And do I feel okay pushing them? And if you do go look into the void, you may not like what looks back and you won't look at those things anymore. But if you do look at those things and it makes you ask questions about yourself or your own mm -hmm. human condition, how is that a bad thing? If people want to make positive stories about the better sides of the human experience and the better sides of what the human condition is. There have to be stories about what the bad side, what the negative is. Cause you know, I don't want to be Neil Armstrong and Neil Armstrong is one of one. He got to experience one of one thing the way he did, just like Jeffrey Dahmer did in a way, like he experienced that one of one, like my hope to God is there's nobody ever else like him that does the things that he do. But like in a way it's worth documenting that he did that and asking like, how, how did someone get to that point and what can we do to prevent it or look for signs in people that are moving that way and do more to prevent it? I think it's all positive. It's just whether or not it's done tastefully, completely different question, which is not what you asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I agree. Like, especially with Dahmer, like 
no one was paying attention to him, which is why, and he was targeting a group of people that nobody pays attention to. And so that's why he was able to get away with it for so long. And that's an important story to tell because we need to learn from history, not repeat history. Um, Especially now when nothing in a lot of ways has changed with that community and how that community interacts with cops, how the gay community, how the African-American community, how the Asian community feel, you know, uh, yeah. appropriately so disenfranchised by the cops. And the, again, I'm, I, I, my issues with some of the things like Dahmer is just you're mythologizing who he was. And like that, in my mind, is not OK. But I also, I guess, understand that some people just don't know the Jeffrey Dahmer story at this point. Who the fuck is going to watch Dahmer that doesn't know that story? Just wandered into the show about the guy who eats people like. Yeah. Like, I don't. Well, I, and they like made him sexy, too, didn't they? I haven't yeah, watched it. It's Evan Peters. That's kind of. Yeah. Right. Like, that's my other issue. Like, don't make him sexy. Like, I know I've heard this before. I've said this on other shows now. Like, well, he was a good looking guy for the time in Milwaukee. Like he was hanging out. He was hanging out in gay bars primarily with African-American and Hispanic guys like and, and then closet and obviously a ton of closeted gay men. Like there were other people. Jeffrey Dahmer was a weirdo who wore yellow contacts and smelled bad, lived in an apartment that smelled bad. And people would not have been in that apartment if they weren't being offered something financially to be there. Yeah. So all that makes sense. But I do think the art, the clown of it all is like is pushing culture forward, even though it's from this like really bizarre place, because the more I think about it, if we didn't have the thing, which was too weird, too scary, too graphic. We would never have my parents watching Stranger Things. Like, yeah, that we would not show, have Stranger Things at all. No, that show would be far too scary for my parents if they weren't, even as not horror movie watchers, exposed to things over the years like Alien, like um, The Sixth Sense, you know, the big breakout hits that are just everywhere. Halloween. Cultural touchstones. Yeah, exactly. My mom will never watch a Halloween movie, but in some way, Halloween and just a guy who mercilessly has no soul and kills people for no explanation whatsoever for however many fucking years now, (laughs) the fact that that exists leaks enough into the conservative viewership that they their boundaries are pushed little by little and then we have these amazing family friendly yet very scary shows like stranger things where my parents are still watching even though the last season was basically a nightmare on elm street pretty much i mean not basically it it really was it just just was (laughs) i mean to (laughs) the point where they're not complaining about to the point where they had robert england in the season yeah you know it's i I agree with you you know ultimately like even with something like you know found footage like cloverfield right like that was a mainstream success People went and saw that movie in droves. I don't, I mean, we did an episode on it earlier this year with Wake Up Heavy. We did all the the three Cloverfield movies as they stand right now. And like that's testament in and of itself of the success of Cloverfield that they made two movies afterwards. Like that's how culturally relevant it was. I think Cloverfield, Paranormal Activity, uh, Blair Witch, like those are the touchstones for this subgenre of horror like do people don't need to see anything other than those three in a lot of ways like not i'm not saying that but i think society culture pop culture writ large would say like if you're gonna see three found footage horror movies you're gonna see blair witch you're gonna see cloverfield 
And then I think paranormal activity is right in there. And I think like what they cover three types of things, because Blair Witch, you know, you said like, don't say Blair Witch, right? Like you you, Blair Witch is also like pseudo documentary, like, you know, just so you know, and not to spoil anything for a movie that's been out for however long, but (laughs) it it has it's it is a documentary that they're making, you know, like they have a purpose being out there. There is a documentary portion of the film. So like it even it is breaking the conventions of what you expect from something like Cloverfield or paranormal activity, which are more straightforward quote found footage, unquote, where it's just the camera that's being held and somebody's going to go do the thing. Even paranormal activity is intercut differently. I mean, it's not just one static or moving shot of the camera. I mean, it's, they're showing the family, they're showing the, the camera, you know, right. I mean, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen it, but I know that that is what it is. So But like even then, like you again, like you said, like the bleed into our pop culture zeitgeist was strong enough for those three. And then the 80s stuff. Yeah. But but yeah, I you know, most found footage is not good, but most movies aren't good. They're okay. You know, like it even in a subgenre like found footage, it takes a lot to stand out. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. You go on all these streaming platforms and they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies and you scroll for 30 minutes with your significant other or your cat or whatever. And you you go, "Ah, there's nothing to watch. And you haven't seen 90 percent of what's on the screen there, but it's because you've seen the big stuff when it comes out. Right. You're like one more big stuff is there. It's hard. It's hard making a movie. Yeah. And especially one that people are like motivated to go out and see that they're excited to go and see that they're like with Gong Jim Asylum telling other people who have never seen it to go see, you know, and I, I, I would tell everybody who is listening to this to go watch the movie. It's good. And you know what? You you might find out that you like South Korean films. And if you do go watch, uh, um, uh, uh, I saw the devil go watch the host. Those are opportunities to further branch out into Korean film. It's not just, you know, even Korean. parasite. I mean, that was a major, that was a major, major one that broke all the rules of foreign film by yeah. landing on American soil, uh, in a, in a, like a very big way. And, um, and it still, it still skirts the line of horror. Yeah. I it's, it has the problem of being genreless in a lot of ways where yeah. it's like, yeah. And that's, again, like, that's the thing about something like Gong Jim. It's like very straightforward. It's again, tropey to the max, but it's like going to a restaurant that only serves two things. Your expectation is if they only serve two things, they're going to nail those two things the way you've never had them nailed for you before. You go to a place that makes corn dogs and all they make is corn dogs. Your hope to God that the corn dog that you have from there is a singular experience of the corn dog variety. And with Gong Jum, it's like, this is a distilled version of everything you've seen before done really well, done yeah. really well. They don't have to do, they do have a little twist, but they don't even have to do that. Like I think without the twist, it would still be a very good found footage movie that benefits from, you know, being shot in a genuinely fucking creepy place. So if you take anything away from this, Ganjam Haunted Asylum is the gourmet corn dog of found footage movies. Put that on the box in Korean, baby. <laughs> And what's funny is uh, in Korea, uh, hot dogs on a stick covered in corn and then deep fried is a thing. 
Hey, all right. Yeah, so there you go. We're already, we're already kind of in the, it's the bull, it's the high quality Wagyu bulgogi of uh, found footage. <laughs> it's the Kalbi LA style short rib of, uh, of found footage films. So well, I got to say from our conversation tonight, I've heard you mention a lot of really cool people that you've had on the show. And I feel really honored that I've gotten to take up a whole episode talking about something that I wanted to talk about <laughs> well, I that mean- I didn't make, you know, like I'm not the guy. I'm not the director of this thing. I have nothing to do with it other than I'm a guy who watched it. And uh, thank you know, appreciate you. Thank you for bringing it to me because I'm not sure I would have ever seen it otherwise. Like you said, it's we now live in a time where there's too much. You know, it's like an endless buffet of content. And how do you know what you want to eat unless someone's like, hey, there's this really good thing over here. So speaking of that, Josh, where can people find your channel, The Haunting Season? Yeah, the best place to get the movie suggestions like you're saying is on tiktok i post every single day on there i do 13 to 15 horror movies a week which blows my mind that i've kept that up for almost two years now um but i'm loving it and then i've got a podcast called haunting season and there's a youtube channel you know you can find the stuff it's haunting season but tiktok is where to start and then i've got a link tree all that stuff as for me, it would be at weirdingwaymedia.com. That's the podcast network that a friend of mine, uh, Mike White of the Projection Booth, him and I started. So 19 shows and counting, including this one, which you can all be found at weirdingwaymedia.com. As for my stuff, cstashu.com, but my stuff's already on Weirding Way Media. So go there, culturecast.com, patreon.com slash culturecast. I get it. Times are hard. Money is tight. You can't support the show financially. Just rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen, because that is... That is what this is all about, is listening, enjoying, participating in the conversation as much as you parasocially can. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining me on the first time here. It's been fun, right? Yeah. It's yeah. A blast. And uh, as always, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>